This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Just a reminder that the lockdown giveaways are over, but I'm definitely going to be doing some kind of giveaway again in the future. I really enjoyed doing those. I just want to try to reach as many people as possible so no one feels left out. I had a ton of people message me saying they never got notifications of the videos, they didn't realize until it was too late, and I feel really awful about that because there's nothing I can do about YouTube being broken, but that stinks. I wish everybody could have who wanted to participate could have participated. So I got a couple ideas. Um, I'm always listening to suggestions, so fire away if you have any good ideas, but uh, I'll hopefully get back to doing some kind of giveaway on a, you know, maybe not a regular basis, but as often as I can, as soon as I figure out a better way to do it. But anyway, for this week, let's just jump right into the news. Bitmap Bureau just announced that the Dreamcast version of Xenocrisis is now available for purchase. You could get for about $35 the full CD with manual, or for just about $17, $18, you can get just the digital download of it if you want to burn your own copy or use it with an optical drive emulator. Um, and I'm always a huge fan of being able to purchase something digital only because there's in almost every case I would want the physical media. I just don't have the space for it. And this is a game I would really like to play. And also if it's a game I like, I wouldn't mind buying more than one version. Like, you know, I would love to have the Neo Geo version of this, but still play the Dreamcast version. And I want to support the developers. So if I ever get the extra cash, I will buy the hard copy original cartridge of the Neo Geo version, but for now, buying the digital only on the Dreamcast certainly made me happy enough. So uh, awesome that there's options like that. And, uh, you know, this is definitely an interesting game that, you know, the controls take a bit to get used to. If you've ever played like Smash TV or something like that, um, it's very similar to that, but I, I thought it was an awesome game. So uh, anybody interested, please check the links. There's a new unofficial firmware out for the FX pack or SD2 SNES, as it was formerly known at by, that allows for save states. Um, this was implemented by Mathis, aka Furious, who's a software developer and a speedrunner, um, and I believe it uh, supports multiple save and load slots as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, I think especially for someone like a speedrunner, save states on original hardware is really important. So you because you could go back and practice those really really hard spots over and over to prepare for your speed runs. Um, and, you know, it's also just fun, too, for people who really want to play through a game but don't have the time to sit there for hours like maybe we did as kids. I even had trouble sitting still that long as a kid, to be honest with you. So I, I do see the point, uh, the legitimate great use for save states, not just cheating, which is fine, too, by the way. I just, it's two different styles of playing. Um, so it's awesome that this is out there. It's still a little bit buggy, uh, but as soon as the bugs are worked through, I imagine it's going to get worked into the official firmware, which is pretty awesome. Uh, there's also another firmware update, though. Another custom firmware was just released for the FX Pack and FX Pack Pro that allows you to play Game Boy games on your Super Nintendo. 
Now, it accomplishes this by emulating a Super Game Boy 2, and that includes both the stock borders and the custom borders for games like Donkey Kong or tons of others that have their own custom borders that match the gameplay. So this is a pretty big deal now, because while it's still in a beta form and it's still buggy, that means this one ROM cart could allow you to play Super Nintendo, Game Boy, and any of the black cart Game Boy Color games that are backward compatible, or at the very least, Super Game Boy compatible. Um, and I think it's absolutely awesome that we get this. Um, you know, in most cases, I prefer to play all of my games in their, you know, their proper aspect ratio through either Woozle's Game Boy Advance Consoleizer, or at the moment, if I want to do it on an RGB monitor, the Game Boy Interface software. However, there are some games that are just really neat with the borders of Super Game Boy. Um, and it's, it's cool now that you have the opportunity to do this with one cart rather than also buying a Super Game Boy 2 and another EverDrive. Uh, also, supposedly MSU1 Audio will also work through this. Um, so at the moment, the only game that was made to take advantage of it is Link's Awakening DX with the new Switch version of Link's Awakening soundtrack built in. I tried to get this to work myself, and I couldn't get that working yet, but I think people much smarter than me are on it, so hopefully uh, we'll see that working on real hardware soon as well. And if anybody is out there who enjoys doing these hacks, I think another pretty incredible one would be to hack Metroid 2 Return of Samus with the AM2R soundtrack. Uh, I think that would just be absolutely mind-blowing to play through, because while I do still love the original game, um, the soundtrack blows it away, especially for a couple a couple of different areas that are mostly just sound like noise on, on the original Game Boy. Just my opinion, though, but a very awesome, awesome accomplishment. Um, hopefully this and the other update will eventually get rolled into the official firmware, but the FX Pack and FX Pack Pro are really looking like some pretty amazing and well-capable ROM cards at the moment. Next, Dan, a.k.a. Citrus3000PSI, has just announced that he's doing one final run of Wii Dual Boards. Uh, these are the mod boards that can add both HDMI and RGB or bypassed component video output to your Wii. I did a review of it a while back. Uh, I linked to it in the description if you haven't seen it yet. But I was a big fan of the, of the mod. Uh, the captures that I took in that video uh, were a little messed up, but the conclusions were spot on in that I thought that there was a noticeable quality upgrade um, from certain model Wii's depending. There are certain models that have better analog output than others, so this definitely um, felt like an upgrade to me. And of course, having dual output and direct HDMI is always a plus. So if you were waiting on one of these and you were considering getting one, now is definitely the time to buy it because this is going to be the final run that Dan does. There's no telling if there's going to be a follow-up product or if somebody else is going to be making them, but I always like to support the original developers on this stuff. So uh, if you were waiting on one of these, definitely pick one up now. The same developer that brought us the 4-meg hacks for Castlevania and Ultraman for Sega Saturn has now just added another game to the list. King of Fighters 95 is now hacked to work with the 4-megabyte RAM cart, when previously this game would only work with its proprietary, I believe it was a 1-megabyte cart. It could have been the 2-megabyte. I always get these confused, um, and I just think it's awesome that we're expanding the way to play these games, because those original RAM carts are getting pretty expensive for the rarer 
ones. You can buy that red cart off of eBay that is switchable between. That seems to work pretty well, um, but a lot of people just already have the 4 meg RAM cart, and especially if you have a way to play backups or an optical drive emulator, being able to just patch your ROM and be able to play it with the more common RAM cart is certainly a big deal to me. Um, and there's also a couple of other enhancements as well. So if you're interested in playing, definitely check this out. But uh, I'm just really appreciative of mods like this because, you know, I imagine there's a bunch of people out there with original discs that want to use their original copy but don't have access to the, the matching RAM cart for it. So thanks very much to YZB for doing these. Uh, and I'm really interested to see what else they come up with. Voltar just posted a video about his recommended Sega Dreamcast mods, um, and while it wasn't a collaboration at all, I do feel like it was a really awesome continuation of the video I did a few years ago that was, you know, hardware tips and tricks. Uh, Voltar touched upon everything else that you could do, and the one that I thought really mattered was uh, the power supply recap, because I didn't talk about that at all in my video, and there's been a lot of discussion going on about do you use replacements, do you just recap the original? Um, and do you need to recap the original? And I thought it was really telling that when, when Voltar popped off a couple of those caps, you saw them starting to have leaked just a little bit. So definitely, you know, if you're having any power related issues, I would strongly recommend using the original PSU and just recapping it. Console 5 always sells those great kits. You just got to make sure to match the exact model of the PSU. It's written kind of on the top side of it. So you know, take the top off of your Dreamcast and turn it sideways and read it. Um, I thought that was great. You know, the aftermarket ones, if you get a good one, I, I could see them being, I could see it being useful if somebody has some uh, a different region Dreamcast that they want to use with a universal PSU. Um, but that's pretty much it. In most other cases, I would recommend trying to repair your original. Uh, there was also a pretty cool mod that instead of uh, replacing the battery with a socketed battery, it Zach replaced it with a standard CR non-rechargeable battery. So both of our videos show that, you know, and recommend that you replace the, the battery that's soldered in with a socket so you could just plop, pop a new battery in anytime it goes dead. But I replaced mine with what was already there, a rechargeable version, uh, and they're pretty expensive. Whereas Zach's idea was to add a diode on there to prevent the back current from charging and just adding a regular CR series battery that will last longer and is cheaper. Um, my only my only thought on this, I don't think matters at all, but I'm always looking ahead to where this console is going to be after me. And I'm, you know, I, I would always be worried that somebody might open up the Dreamcast after the battery died, not realize the mod had been done and pop in a rechargeable battery. But if that's the case, nothing bad is going to happen because of that diode. It's not like it's going to charge or not charge. Uh, you know, it's actually a pretty safe mod to do. They would probably just end up having those ML batteries die a lot quicker than they would have uh, if they had the charge circuit back in. So 100% safe. I talked to, to Zach about that, and he, he really recommends doing that one. I'm leaving my ML in just because it's still working fine, but I might consider upgrading to that. And of course, there's a DC digital installation shown, which is always awesome to watch. Uh, it's a fine pitch soldering install, so it's not for everybody, but it's a really well-made kit, and I enjoyed uh, enjoyed watching it. Um, and also, he showed off Greg's updated 3D printed design uh, for the GDMU, which I really like that a lot. I like the button that you could push down to access and all that stuff. So it was an excellent video. Glad to see 
Voltar back making videos at all. Uh, it's too long between videos, Voltar. Don't don't leave us hanging anymore. But um, to be honest, you know, n- not to shamelessly self-promote here, but if you're really into the Dreamcast, I would I would start with mine. Uh, hardware tips and tricks video. I'd then move on to Zach's and then I'd probably end with the DC digital video I did as well uh, to give you a pretty solid idea of what to expect. The only thing that's really missing from this is some of the newer analog output solutions, but I'm going to be waiting until the year 2025 till the HD retrovision component cables are released to redo that video. Steve from HD retrovision just helped contribute to a post called building a passive sync combiner. Steve submitted the circuit drawing and helped me explain exactly what's going on, but I think the best way to describe it is if you have a device like, let's say, a BVM or a PVM that's 480p compatible, and you want to put a VGA signal into that, the RGB lines of RGBHV, VGA, don't need to be changed at all. Those can plug directly into your BVM or PVM. And then you need to combine the H and V lines. And I've seen people just use a Y cable or plug it both into the in and out at the same time. Uh, and while that's fine for a few seconds, like if you just need a quick, like, hey, does this work type of test, uh, it's not good for any of the equipment. You really need some kind of sync combining circuit in order to make that a proper signal and uh, so you don't have to worry about damaging, damaging any of your equipment. And up until now, I've been using things like Xtron RGB interfaces and uh, a few other devices that are meant to to do exactly this, combine or separate sync. And this design right here, I thought was really cool because Steve also made me a Y cable with it built in. Uh, now, excuse the glue, this was just a proof of concept, just to test and make sure that it was safe to use and all that stuff. But even, even though it was uh, just a, a quick test job, I've been using this Y cable with the circuit built in for quite a while, uh, and it's been working great in almost every scenario. The only scenarios it wasn't working are for those monitors like the A-series BVMs or the DH that all have the crazy sync problems. Um, but basically, this is a good way to combine both of the sync with that output the right voltage and the right signal. Uh, not sure if you could quite see here, but in this uh, in this cable that he made for me, they're labeled H and V inputs. Um, you have to use the specific ones because of the way the circuit's designed in order to combine them. Um, and of course, it's also unidirectional. This will not separate sync. Uh, it'll only combine it. So overall, you know, most people listening to this probably, uh, respectfully, probably aren't going to care. They're just going to say, okay, when there's a product available, I'll buy it, which is fair. Uh, but if you're designing products or if you want to have a little bit more control over getting different signals around, this is going to be a circuit that you, you, it would come in handy in many cases. And anybody watched the video I just posted about lag testing retro scalers, uh, this sync combining Y cable was used in almost every shot uh, one way or another. So obviously it's something that's compatible and it works. And if anybody who's designing circuits or needs to know anything about this, I highly recommend reading the article as well as uh, clicking on the link to the HD Retrovision blog with Engineering C-Sync. Uh, part one and two were both excellent. I'm really waiting for part three to come out as well to possibly even help solve some more issues that's going on in the retro gaming world. Once again, it's one of these issues where if you don't have it in your setup, it doesn't apply to you, so you don't have to worry about it. But I like to cover all ground. So definitely check it out if it's something you might be interested in. And hopefully we can see this sync combiner circuit built into some upcoming devices. 
Darksoft has just announced an arcade multi-kit for the Namco System 1, which is an arcade platform that has games like Splatterhouse and Dragon Spirit, as well as a whole bunch of others. Um, it's going to be about $360 and will require a donor System 1 arcade PCB, uh, and you'll also need a programmer that's about 100 bucks. So original arcade board enthusiasts would probably love this. People that just want to play arcade games might want to wait for Mr. or just play on like a Raspberry Pi or something. Um, you know, when it comes to arcade stuff, I like all of those options. You know, I have some of my favorite arcade games. I own the boards uh, in one stand-up arcade. And then for the rest, uh, I really, it's just so unfeasible to collect every arcade game that you like. So emulation and dealing with some variable, uh, variable software lag and stuff like that, not really a big deal in my opinion because there isn't much of an alternative and of course if it's available as a mr core that's always excellent but uh you know this is something that if you're into original boards and you you really want to use original hardware but just have the ability to load multiple games you can't really beat these multis they work really well um there's no availability yet um and you know these things can take years so i wouldn't hold your breath i would just get on the forums and uh, say that you're interested and then they'll let everybody know when it's ready for purchase i think it's it's been quite a while since the cps1 multi was announced so i'm not sure if it's going to be the same period of time with the system namco system one uh or if it's an easier platform and they'll have it out sooner no clue you'll have to check the arcade forums in order to to find that out and of course anytime there's any official word or in the go on sale we'll definitely post here my Life in Gaming has just posted a video highlighting SharpScale, which is the hack for the PSTV that allows for pixel-perfect integer scaling for some of the games. And I thought they did an absolutely excellent job showing off exactly what it could do and the scenarios in which you might use different modes. Um, I talked about it a while back when it was first announced and first really made public, um, and I don't have a PSTV to do any of the testing, so it was really awesome to see My Life in Gaming step up and take care of this. Uh, and to be honest, after seeing the examples, I'm even more excited about it than I was just reading about it before. So uh, maybe this will finally push me to get a PSTV, hack it, and see what I could do with it. But if you're even even slightly into this stuff, I definitely recommend giving that video a watch. Virtual Boy developer Thunderstruck has just released a new version of the game Bound High, which was originally an unreleased Virtual Boy game that had been found and released as a ROM, and I guess more source code had been found that also included things like a debug menu. So Thunderstruck was able to edit the original source code in order to activate these options, and then also made them easier to, to work through and to access via the pause menu, and then recompiled it using a more modern compiler. Um, and by doing this, they were able to get a ROM together that when you hit pause, you could use a different combination of buttons to either go into a sound test mode uh, or even select what level you want to go to. And there's even another um, mode where if you press a button, it'll finish the level for you, which is kind of neat. That's how I recorded the video that's being shown right now. Uh, and another neat thing is in the sound test menu, a few songs appeared that weren't in the actual game. So it seems that Thunderstruck also discovered a few unreleased uh, music tracks as well. So I'm always happy to see more Virtual Boy development. Um, this game, interestingly enough, is, is probably one of the best on Virtual Boy because of how well it uses the 3D perspective. Um, and, you know, it's kind of neat just to, to, you're a ball jumping on top trying to pop bubbles type of, it's probably the best way to describe it for anybody that's not watching. So thanks very much to Thunderstruck to, for releasing all this stuff. Um, and I'm certainly looking forward to trying it out on the new upcoming Hyper Flash 32. 
And speaking of the HyperFlash 32, the designer Kevin Mellett has just posted a video showing this thing in action, and it absolutely lives up to the hype. Uh, how it works is you add your micro SD card to the top, and then you power it with any USB power. So you don't have to be plugged into a PC. Any kind of USB power will work. Um, and then you hit the menu button on back, which is a capacitive touch button that allows you to load up the menu and select your game. Now, the games are listed just as single lines, uh, so it's pretty quick to scroll through. It's an e-ink screen that you're looking at, so it's not going to be as fast as a, a normal LCD, but certainly fast enough to, to select a game. And then once you select it, it loads the game into Flash, which uh, doesn't take too long at all. But then the really cool thing, and what I always thought was super impressive, is that after it loads, you get whatever game that's loaded um, as a thumbnail on the e-ink screen. And then you could just unplug the power from it, and that, um, that graphic will persist until the next time you change the game. So I, I just, I think that's the coolest feature. Um, you know, then you obviously just use it like a normal game. You never have to wonder what was the last game flashed. Uh, you could see it right there. And I just think that's one of those really creative features that I would love to see ROM carts that replace the label with a color e-ink screen. And every time you load up the game, uh, you end up just getting whatever the, the label for the game you loaded is. I'd love to see that on every ROM cart because I'm a silly nerd like that and I enjoy these things. So um, as far as uh, availability goes, everything is on schedule as last time. Review prototype units are probably going to go out in about a month uh, with about two months after that them hitting the public. Um, I think Kevin had found a few minor things with the prototypes and then he's going to be putting in the large order. So very smart to do a small prototype order first. You don't want to order a large run of something just to find out there was a tiny mistake that you have to manually correct on each one. Uh, but it's looking like it's fall for people to be able to buy this thing. Uh, and I can't wait to get my hands on it, but just based on this video alone, it looks like something I'm really going to enjoy. Most of Tim Worthington's 2020 product lineup is now available. Uh, a while back, Ronnie made a post detailing each of the things that Tim is releasing, and now all but one are available for purchase. The SCART to ARC 30, which is a SCART to JAMA adapter, is available for $60. The JAMA Prog, which is the adapter that converts various controller boards to the JAMA Arcade Standard, uh, that's $27. The SCART MUX is a 4-in, 2-out SCART switch for $87. Uh, and that one is a little weird because it outputs via an 8-pin mini-DIN connector. So if you have four consoles and a frame meister, that's a, a pretty perfect way to, um, to use it. If not, you're going to have to buy, rather than buy like... Um, uh, SCART to BNC, you would have to buy 8-pin mini-DIN to BNC or 8-pin mini-DIN to SCART in order to get that out on your displays. Uh, and last is the SUPAT, which is like a super gun, but only handles the audio and video side of things. However, it's designed to ensure that safe voltages are always sent from arcade boards to SCART devices, so without any kind of spikes or anything like that. And that's $53. And these are all USD. Uh, Tim lists them in Australian dollars, so if you go check out his site. Don't think I'm lying to you about the price or anything like that. Um, and the only thing at the moment that's not available was the SCART to VGA or VGA to SCART adapter. Uh, and Tim said it just needs some tweaks and he should be getting that out probably by the end of the year. So if you've been waiting on any of these products, um, now's the time to buy them. And if you aren't 100% sure what they are, please check out Ronnie's post, which details all of them. 
Some original documents were found for the Yamaha YM2612 sound chip, which was used in the Mega Drive Genesis 1, as well as the FM Towns computer series and Sega's System 32 arcade machines. And the documents include um, development software, some of the source code, and original manuals. So it's it's pretty interesting, both the story and how they found all this and what it could be used for, because with all the reverse engineering people have done in the past few years, and especially most recently with the Mr project. I think any extra info about these chips that are being reverse engineered is pretty impressive. Now, over the years, people have actually found errors in the original manuals of things, not necessarily this one, but just tech in general. And reverse engineering has found the the real answers to some of these. So as people dig through these documents, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how close we all got to the FPGA implementations of this. Um, If the community found stuff that was or wasn't in the original documentation, uh, I just think it's gonna—it's a pretty cool nerdy story that most of us might enjoy, and I'm really interested to seeing if this could make for slightly more accurate um, FM or YM2612 FPGA implementations. But either way, it's neat that this stuff's getting stumbled across. And if you're interested in stories like this, check out the link. A guide was just posted that shows how to upgrade the Sega Dreamcast's RAM from 16 to 32 megabytes. There's also BIOSes available that allow this RAM to be utilized, but at the moment, it's only for homebrew and emulation, not any retail games. So I'm not really sure uh, what could be done to use this, as well as maybe even like the overclock mod to enhance original games. And one of the things that was speculated that I think all of us probably had our fingers crossed for was, will this allow for Naomi support? Um, and um, it's been speculated that since the Naomi, ha- Naomi has twice the VRAM and quadruple the sound RAM, this isn't going to be enough. There would have to be other things involved in order to make that happen. So um, anybody un- that's unaware, the Naomi is the arcade version of the Dreamcast, um, and it has slightly better graphics and a few more, uh, I think a few different games on it. But essentially, it's like a beefy arcade version of the Dreamcast. So it would be pretty awesome to have backward compatibility like that or forward compatibility, if you, if you want to call it that, but not really sure if that's possible at the moment. But heck, there's some really smart people out there. So, And in fact, there's really smart people listening to this. And if you're one of them, maybe see if you could look into this and find a way to utilize it for retail games. The company Brook has just announced pre-orders are opening on a controller adapter that works with both the Sega Saturn and the Sega Dreamcast. It's got uh, two pigtail adapters hanging out the back, so obviously you would just choose one or the other for which console you're using it with. And it's compatible with a ton of different controllers. Um, It's compatible with both wired and wireless as well, from Xbox to uh, the Switch Pro and even PS3 and PS4. So it's pretty interesting uh, to have that much functionality come through it. And it's also even able to output to a PC via a micro USB port if you want to use it as that kind of adapter. For people using it with the Dreamcast, it also acts as a VMU, featuring the same amount of blocks as the original VMUs would, so it works as a pretty good memory card. Um, And it's also hot swappable, so if you're having a tournament and a bunch of people are lining up to play, you know, MVC2 on Dreamcast and everybody wants to use their own controller, you don't have to worry about hot swapping on the Dreamcast side. You leave the Dreamcast plugged in and just plug in everybody's own controller as they come through, which is a pretty cool option. Um... Now, one thing I'm I'm really curious about is hard numbers of how much lag this introduces in all of the modes. And, you know, I don't often see a lot of numbers posted on the Brook products 
they're always kind of just known as usable in tournaments, but I'd really like to see exactly how much lag it adds in every scenario. I know Porkchop was working on a really extensive lag testing spreadsheet. Um, I'll do a video on that soon, but I really want to dig deep into that because I think that would be pretty interesting, and I want to make sure to spend as much time as that deserves. So maybe we could add this product to it if it comes out in time, just to give some some more... Um, I guess the best way to put it would be to, to add more perspective on how much lag these actually add. And in the context of consoles like the Saturn and the Dreamcast, how would that affect gameplay, if at all? Um, anybody that wants one, you could pre-order it now from Arcade Shock or Focus Attack for $45. Uh, and if I could try one when it comes out, I'll definitely give it a shot and see what I think. Well, that's it for this week. As usual, thanks so much to everybody who watches, who listens, who plays nicely in the comments, and of course to everybody who supports on services like Floatplane and Patreon, because it's you who's keeping these weekly podcasts, as well as all of the behind-the-scenes research and testing and all the videos going as well. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.